either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Halloween weekend. So if you're looking for spooky movies, we got some spooky movies. Got some other stuff, too. We'll run them all down. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's dive into the latest from Edgar Wright. An aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s when she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. Last night in Soho. Do you believe in ghosts? You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. The guy that killed her is still out there. I have to stop him. Where are you going? I know what you did. I've done a lot of things. You're going to have to be more specific, love. You can't save me. The first three that we're going to talk about, these are all movies that sh- were supposed slated to come out before COVID hit that we've all three of them been really waiting to see. And this one was so much fun. It was so much fun. And I, I, I still have to stop myself from singing the title in my head to the tune of One Night in Bangkok. Uh, but that's that's an MP. Uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Edgar Wright, so if you know anything about Edgar Wright's movies, uh, immediately a certain style comes to mind. But he, he switches it up a little bit here. I think he does, Because yeah. if you, you think about movies, Baby Driver, um, Shaun of the Dead, things like that, you know, the pace is very quick. Lots of cuts, lots of uh, wipes on the screen. Mm-hmm. Of course, the color, he's still got color here. But he slows it down, slows the pace down a little bit, which I think is needed because this is very, this is more dreamlike. Yes. And and it fits the mood very well, but it, it's still very colorful. And the soundtrack oh, is just my God. killer. Yeah. You, think of, you think of Edgar Wright, he's always got the well-placed soundtrack choices in here. He does it for this movie as well. And he's got two great young leads, uh, starting with Thomas and McKenzie, who plays Ellie. And when, when, the, when the movie first begins, you think that it, the whole thing is set in the 1960s London because, or England because her character's bedroom makes you feel that way. Right. But not. She's present day. She's just fascinated with that era. She's been brought up by her grandmother as a place those types of songs, and her room looks like it might have been the 1960s. But no, uh, she's a country mouse, as they call her, but she's off to the big city in London because she's been accepted into the London School of Fashion Design. And once she gets there, there's a lot of different pressures with peers and with the city life, and she has a little bit of trouble adjusting, but pretty soon she's enveloped in these very detailed dreams and visions about the life of Sandy, the young singer played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Who is always wonderful. I mean, Andy Taylor-Joy, I think, can probably, there's nothing that she cannot do. And, and she can sing now. She we find can. Out. We know now that she can sing. And she is such, she, her arc is amazing. Mm-hmm. Her performance is amazing. And she plays the, you know, the very confident young starlet who is going to make her splash as a singer in London. And uh, her confidence is 
mesmerizing to young Ellie, who right. really lacks confidence. And so she, it almost rubs off on her, and then she she begins this transformation. Ellie does, but then eventually she she stops looking forward to these dreams because they take a very very sinister turn. Yeah, and the way that Wright uses his camera and the framing and the movement to to not only get Ellie into Sandy's world, but us as well. Yeah. And the two of them at the same time. He uses mirrors a lot. Yes. To very great effect. Mirror images where Ellie is making the same same movements that Sandy is, and it's it's really mesmerizing. And the, visually, it's it's fantastic. And and the the soundtrack, as you mentioned, is great, including the version of Downtown sung by Anya Taylor Joy, which actually they use more in the trailer than they do in the actual movie. But still, yeah, she definitely can sing. So Ellie, as as this, what becomes a really thrilling mystery about the the dark turn that Sandy's life takes when she puts trust in a nightclub manager played by Matt Smith from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And then the other wrinkle to it is that Ellie meets this creepy old dude in her neighborhood pub where she starts working, played by Terrence Stamp, and she becomes convinced that he is now the present-day version of this manager, Jack, who may have done something terrible to Sandy, and, of course, Ellie sees it in her visions, and she wants him to pay. That may or may not be what really happens. So, (laughs) yeah, it's time-hopping, it's genre-bending, because, yeah, there's mystery, there's thrills. It does get terrifying and bloody, and it mixes a lot of different aspects that still manage to feel like Wright's stamp is on them all. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Um, one of the things he, um, it's, it's hardly, it's not a giallo film. In fact, I think the trailer suggests it is more than it is. But there are, you know, some of the giallo panache to this, the sort of, you know, the reflection in the sharp knife of mm, eyeballs, yes, things yes. like that. I mean, it's got that sort of style periodically about it. And a couple of other, it's very Hitchcocky in certain areas as well. And, um, but one of the things that the final act is great. It's very tidy. It's a little bit more specifically in keeping with those types of movies than you expect, which makes it a little bit of a departure from his film and films. Yeah. Which which I think is going to, st- it stands out a little bit. It's maybe an odd choice. Yeah. One of the things that I really loved, though, about what he did with Hitchcock and Giallo in particular is that those two types of films, one filmmaker and one Argento, for example, for Giallo, is that they they fetishize violence against women. They sexualize violence against women. Oh, yeah. And this one is is equally um, uh, uh, interested in violence against women, but from a, the opposite perspective. And I thought that that was really well done and welcome and not a sledgehammer about it. Like, it doesn't feel like it's a, a finger-wagging. It's mm-hmm. just a really interesting take in this particular um uh, film because the style is so fantastic. I feel like I feel like maybe Edgar Wright doesn't have the meanness to pull off an actual horror movie. I, I watched this whole movie and I loved it and I thought it's got jump scares, yeah. it's got blood. I don't see it doesn't strike me as a horror movie in the same way that Shaun of the Dead doesn't strike me as a horror movie. <laughs> Shaun of the Dead is adorable, you know, and uh, and so and I'm not I don't say that as a knock, but I think like horror fans are going to find this more charming than scary. Yeah, the, I think that's fair. Uh, the two leads are great: Thomas and Mackenzie and Anya Taylor Joy. Fantastic. The whole ensemble is great, and just for the the chef's kiss of the casting. 
Diana Rigg, yeah, the so legendary great. Diana Rigg, her last film. This is her last role. She plays the landlady of the the room that uh, Ellie stays in. And, Boy, and uh, she just epitomized the swinging 60s oh, of London, that's right? That's she came up. Yeah. You remember when she was in the Avengers back then? She was a swinging 60s girl. So that's what it's such a great piece of casting and, and bittersweet because uh, it's her final role. So that's just an, another feather in the cap. But uh, I'm like you. I loved it. I thought it was such, such a, just a gas, to yeah. use the vernacular, yeah. of the day. And uh, but I was a little I got to be honest, I was a little disappointed in the ending because the previous two thirds, the first two acts seemed to me so visionary and so unique to Edgar Wright that I thought it just the finale kind of leaned back on. Maybe everybody tropes else a and, little and bit. tropes just a little bit, but yeah. it, it didn't Enjoyable, ruin the film. Though, it, yeah, no, it no. didn't ruin the film at all. No. It was still a, a really great experience. But I think that's a good point about maybe not going all the way on a horror movie. But I think that will endear it to to people that maybe aren't loving horror movies as much as we do. Right, but I love think, Edgar Wright. Yeah, 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 it'll be maybe a little more widespread and mainstream. Yeah. But I think uh, it's got it's got mystery, it's got thrills, it does have some blood, and it's uh, a lot of great music and great performances. So all around. Really enjoyable, but I think is still maybe Edgar Wright's best is yet to come, uh, as, as enjoyable as this one is, and we really liked it. So check it out, Last Night in Soho, in theaters now. Boy, talk about directors with their own style. How about Wes Anderson? This is his love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. It's the French Dispatch. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. A message from the foreman. One hour to press. You're fired. Really? Don't cry in my office. Yeah, if certain things come to mind when you think of Edgar Wright, boy, even more certain things come to mind when you think of Wes Anderson. He has a style. <laughs> yes, he and does. this may be the most Wes Anderson y movie that he's made yet. Which is funny. I feel like we say that every time. I'm sure we said that with Grand Budapest Hotel, but this is like Grand Budapest Hotel, like a degree closer uh, to just the epitome of Wes Anderson. Yeah, I don't think the the symmetry and the motion of the entire movie has and the visuals have ever been more tightly controlled. Right. Even to manufactured still lifes. Yes. Uh, which I don't think he's done before. No, but I loved And it's yeah. so in keeping. It looks fantastic. I mean, the, the set design, the production design, everything is just impeccable. I mean, it's meticulous. It is an incredible treat to watch every frame of it. That being said, it it's to, to me, and I think to you too, it's missing that layer of humanity that makes you feel it in that that, that was there in his best work i'm thinking rushmore Moon, moonrise kingdom rushmore even grand budapest yeah. hotel this one as as beautiful as it is and incredible as it is to look at it it feels like it's at arm's length well one of the things i think that it has working against it as a film is that it's actually an anthology right right so it is it is uh 
it's a series of shorts that are the stories, the reportings, yeah. the stories that are in the last edition of this magazine. So, and, because, and the, because the longtime editor, played by Bill Murray, has passed away. And so this will be the last issue. And what they do is, uh, you know, they, they animate, and sometimes literally animated, yeah. but they, they, they bring to life the four of the different stories that are mm-hmm. going to be published. And... Again, beautiful, and oh my goodness, star-studded. So you've got everybody who you can expect oh from my. a Wes Anderson movie, right? Owen Wilson and um, Angelica Houston and Bill Murray and Tilda Swinton and but a- and Adrian Brody. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, and you also add some new people. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet and uh, Henry Winkler. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but some of these people, Benicio you, del Toro, you blink and you'll miss them. Yeah, I mean, they're in small parts. Jason Schwartzman, who I think worked on the script or the story. Now Wes Anderson gets the script credit, but Jason Schwartzman was gets a story credit. He he's in it for just a couple of minutes. Oh yeah, if you blink and you miss him. Yeah, so yeah, the same with Elizabeth Moss. Oh yeah, I mean it's so star studded. I mean the people who are I read that somebody else said this. I'm not going to take credit for it, but the guy sweeping up in the back, he's a star. Ed Norton. <laughs> Ed I Norton. Yeah. I mean there are so many. Yeah, it goes on and on, but and all the stories have, go off in such tangential ways that often they're the only way you can you can keep abreast of what's going on is through Angelica Houston's narration. They just go off. In fact, one of them is a piece, supposedly a piece, on a very famous chef. And as Bill Murray's character notes when he gets the story, there's only one quote by the chef in the entire story. It goes <laughs> off on all these other angles that it's, it's just it's mesmerizing and head-spinning. But there's not... Nothing holds it together. A through line. There's not. There's really not. And, and that keeps, for us, I think it, it kept us from... Feeling it, respecting it, yes, respect it all day. Yes. It's incredible to look at, but really feeling it, it's hard to get a hold of. There are some great performances, oh, too. Yeah, I mean, Francis yeah. McDormand is amazing in it. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is amazing. There are he some really great yeah. performances there in really it. There really are. It's just that because there isn't really a through line, it, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't make a human connection. It's yeah. It's... It is, I, I hate to say it, it's just style over substance, and some of the but wo- the style is amazing. It is, and some of the wordplay is so great, Glorious. so intellectual, as you, as you really get what he's trying to say here, especially when at the very end he name-checks a lot of his favorite uh, writers from yeah. the day. But it's saluting a lost art of, jur- of journalism and the writers that propelled it, yeah. and that is certainly a, a worthy goal. And, and we just keep coming back to this. It's crafted so well. It just doesn't have the the feeling to make it stick. But uh, still, is it worth seeing? Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I think Wes Anderson fans are going to appreciate it. But but the people that are looking to maybe be converted into Wes Anderson fans, this one maybe not there. You, no, so, if you if you already know that you don't particularly care for this director, you are not going to like this movie. Yeah, but uh, boy, it is something something to look at and 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 respect this just the craftsmanship of it alone. And it's in theaters now, and it is the French Dispatch. Boy, here's another one we've been waiting on for a while. Creature feature. In an isolated Oregon town, a middle school teacher and her sheriff brother become embroiled with her enigmatic student whose dark secrets lead to terrifying encounters with the legendary ancestral creature who came before them. This is called Antlers. This is what was in the mind. It's a diabolical spirit. Excuse me, this is a myth. For you, yeah. Oh, 
Aki. He's not your responsibility. He has no one. He is my responsibility. He'll come for me. He needs me. He's here. Yeah, but we've been waiting on this one for a couple of years. This is from Scott Cooper, who did, you might know him from the uh, Crazy Heart that mm-hmm. won Jeff Bridges an Academy Award. Then he did Out of the Furnace. Mm-hmm. And now he's taking on a creature feature. And boy, one of the best thing, things about this movie is the creature. Oh, yeah. Because thankfully, it's not a computer-generated creature. It's practical effects, and we always appreciate that. And they bring the goods here. They really do. And, and films like this really do tend to live or die on what the creature looks like. And uh, not only does it look awesome, is it genuinely scary, but of course a very, very solid director. He knows how to frame it. He knows how to use it, when to see it, when to not see it, and when to focus on the reaction of other people. And also the transformation yeah, it's a. It's not. Don't think like America Werewolf in London. It's not like a quick transformation. It's a. It's a two thirds of the movie long transformation. Mm-hmm. But that I thought was very effective and very moving. And that's what I think the movie has going for it. Also, it is a very moving film. It is an emotionally, you know, heart tugging, sad, poignant movie. Yeah, because you've got kids in peril. Uh, specifically, one boy who is a, a student of teacher Carrie Russell. And uh, she, it's her brother who is the sheriff, and he's played by Jesse Plemons. And they both have some trauma in their upbringing. And uh, you, you get the sense that she has had some trouble with substance abuse, and she has come to this town and taken the job. Uh, she's kind of new as a teacher. But anyway, she notices that this, this boy in her class is troubled and starts to so- sort of investigate a little bit. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's got some problems at home that also include his younger brother, who's also in peril, and their father. Um, and the, the, the creature is a Wendigo, yes. right? And it's one of the, it's a creature like that is searching for a host to continue to evolve and continue to exist, moving from host to host to host. And that is the creature involved in the movie. So, uh, it is that you've got, you've got the kids in peril and they go into, uh, you know, dark caves and big creepy old houses. I think the problem here comes in comes into play when with the heavy-handedness of the metaphors about addiction and about trauma because they they hit you upside with upside the head with that pretty hard. They really do. And it's funny to me. I think that Scott Cooper was just an unusual choice to direct this film. Not only because he hasn't done a horror film, but because his movies they are they're dark, they're grim, oh, yeah. you know, and they um they really, you know, they're very settled in sort of unhappiness. I mean, I, I think that for trauma and addiction, those aren't weird choices, but the fact that it is a film that toys with the supernatural and a film that is in many ways told from the perspective of children, he lacks a sense of dark wonder. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, you think that maybe somebody like Guillermo del Toro was the producer and Pan's Labyrinth is sort of the the height of this yeah. particular type of film. And this movie lacks that type of wonder. It really does. And that makes the metaphor, as you say, so heavy handed. On the other hand, it looks amazing. Not just the woods, not just the city, you know, the, the sort of, you know, er, small town rural mm-hmm. blight, but also, which he handles well in everything, but also I think unlike his other films 
there are shots inside a mine that are dark and lit just with flares yeah. that are gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous and spooky and very unlike anything else he's ever done, which I loved. I loved the look of this movie. I loved the camera work in this movie. And I loved the performances, too. But in the end, I was disappointed in it because it didn't have, I think, a required sense of wonder. Yep. And it felt too much like a drama, you know, like a like a very heavy-handed drama that had these weird horror elements to yeah, it. Yeah, and when you hear the name Guillermo del Toro, you think of, well, he wears his wonder on his sleeve. Yes, he does. And you just don't see that here at all. Uh, I'm not surprised to see his name attached to a creature feature, right. certainly. But uh, yeah, you don't you don't feel that wonder at all. But I'm with you. It looks great, and it's got some some good scares and some some attacks and everything like that. So if you're looking for a creature feature for Halloween weekend, this one could fit the bill. But yeah, boy, a less heavy hand would have gone a long way with antlers, and it is in theaters now. Boy, it's a different kind of horror in this next movie. This one is the aftermath of a violent tragedy that affects the lives of two couples in different ways. It's called Mass. You say you want to heal. Is this how? We want to know how this happened. We need your help with that. I'm willing to help. When you talk about blame on your part, I want to know what you're referring to. It's very hard to answer. Well, please try. It's not just one thing. Tell me about your son. What would you like to know? Everything. I want to know everything. Why? Why do I want to know about your son? Because he killed mine. It's not our fault, Richard. You know, one of the things that I think stands out about this movie, you don't very often get very pared down films that focus so exclusively on the performances. The kind of thing where if you have one week performance, the whole movie is shot. And boy, they don't have one week performance. Not one. This is a a chamber piece. Basically, two, two couples. Uh, one couple played by uh, J- uh, Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton. The other couple played by Ann Dowd and Reed Burney. And they, the two couples meet at a church, and a room has been reserved for them as the choir practices upstairs that just basically has a table, and it's got some tissues. And they're going to need the tissues, and you probably are too. Right. Because they're, the two couples' lives have been connected by this unspeakable tragedy. And in a really incredibly assured filmmaking debut, the writer-director here is a guy named Fran Kranz. And he's been a longtime actor. Yep. Uh, Mart, he was Marty in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, the, the pot smoker yeah. in Cabin in the Woods. Hilarious. Yeah, and I couldn't find any evidence of him writing or directing anything before this. Shorts or anything. But he wrote this and he directed it. And man, is it a confident vision and a and a... A, a graceful, unassuming, understated, not heavy-handed, right? Not heavy-handed take on this incredible journey of of healing, because the couples, each 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 member of this foursome, in their own way, they go through the different different angles of blame and guilt and forgiveness and healing, and it is. It's incredible to watch all four of these actors. Uh, they're superb, uh, especially I, I really single out the two, the two females. Martha Plimpton. I've never seen Martha Plimpton. Not that she's bad. I've never seen her come anything close right. to the emotion she mines in this. And her character, Gail, has the biggest emotional arc. She travels the farthest, and she is just incredible. And Anne Dowd, I think who you said, is already getting some, some, Oscar buzz. Uh, some Oscar buzz. She is great as well. In fact, she has the final. It's sort of a movie that ends where you you just don't feel 
this this can't be the end. No, there's one more big speech coming, and it's really so emotionally uh, beneficial and, and worthy, and, and Ann Dow delivers it, and she delivers it perfectly. It could have been overwrought, but it's not. But yeah, get ready, because this, this takes you on a ride, and it takes... It really deconstructs an all-too-common tragedy. You can probably guess the kind of tragedy I'm talking about. It deconstructs it from the inside out in such a way that makes you think about the people who are sadly involved in these tragedies. Think about their perspectives in a different way. And nothing is spoon-fed. Right from the beginning, you you don't know what, what happened, and you try to pick up little bits of information that you eventually you eventually get everything you need to know in their in their dialogues back and forth. But, the boy, you just hang on every word, and it's almost, it's so intimate, you almost feel like you're intruding, but at the same time, you're, you, you welcome the invitation, even as emotionally, emotionally gut-wrenching as it is. It's just a well-crafted, superbly acted chamber piece. You know, just these, it, could be, it could easily be a play. It reminded me a lot of, and you too, of um, Carnage. Carnage from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But that one was very darkly comic. Right, and this, this is not one at all. is not, no. not at all. But boy, if you if if you don't mind the subject matter, because it's tough at times, it is just just an amazing piece of acting and a fantastic filmmaking debut for someone that we've only known up to now as an actor. But boy, very talented filmmaker in uh, Fran Kranz and uh, the the four uh, actors, Jason Isaac, Martha Plimpton, Ann Dowd, and Reed Burney. Just just fantastic. It is out in theaters now, and it's called Mass. Let's go back to the spooky stuff for a foreign film set in the past in which a family gets a visit from a strange little girl with a frightening prediction. This is called Ro, R-O-H, or Soul. So be careful when you dial it up that you're not actually looking for the Pixar film Soul, because this is not that. No, no. This is, you could also search on, yeah, Soul or... R-O-H, but um, a Malaysian film. Yes, uh, and a good one. It's a very spare, you know, there's a total of of five people in the entire film, um, and it's set in the woods, and it's a folk tale. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, it's a folklore horror, which is a favorite of mine. That is a, a really great area for me. All five performances, three of which are children, are amazing, and Again, the cinematography. The cinematography here is so, so beautiful and earthy. I mean, it's a weird thing to say because it's a supernatural film. It is a supernatural film. But the way that the forest is shot, it keeps you grounded in just sort of the worldliness of it as opposed to the otherworldliness of it. It's almost elegant and poetic in its understatement. You know, Asian horror, and I love Asian horror, it does tend to be, uh, at least the Asian horror that makes it to our shores, very over the top. You know, and this is not in any way over the top. And it's also um, because, I think, because it's, for uh, Americans, this, I guarantee, this is not a folktale you're familiar with, which makes it completely surprising, confoundingly surprising. But to me, again, that is so refreshing. If I don't know where it's going, and I can't guess where it's going, then I'm just that much more absorbed in the story being told and it's a story of there's a little girl in the woods we see her before the rest of the cast sees her she's very bloody and she's very dirty and we have the sense that that's because she has done something awful but when she shows up at this young family's home their their hut out in the woods they just see a lost girl and you can tell there's a sense of maybe we shouldn't take her in, but how can they not take her in? And they do, and they shouldn't have. <laughs> uh, and the, where it goes from there, I mean, you can't possibly begin yeah. to guess. So just watch it. 
And it continues a trend that I think I first noticed, we first noticed several years ago. They keep finding these kids who are just so talented. Yes, kids agreed. are just agreed. great these days. Yeah, and it's a funny thing because all three of them, it would be so easy to to overact in these situations, and they don't. I mean, they see, that's one of the things I think that's so unnerving about this film is because it is a supernatural film. And yet, all of the performances are so naturalistic, which you don't usually see see in, in a film about something supernatural. Again, it's just great. Yeah, and that's a bargain, especially for Halloween weekend. You fire this up on, on Prime for just three ninety nine. Get it. So I think you'll be satisfied with Roe or Soul. How about another horror anthology? We got one. This one presents six horror stories from black directors and screenwriters in one single film. It's called Horror Noir. In most families, the danger doesn't come from some stranger. Danger comes from someone you already know. Hell no. What's been going on in this house? Open our eyes. Follow me. Let me tell you something. He got a fiddle. Not me. Yeah. Not your girl. Now, right away, now there's another title that might throw you. Because yes. when we first saw the title, we're like, wait, we, we reviewed a horror noir from just a couple of years ago. There was a documentary. It was. And it was a documentary about the history of, of black horror. Black yeah. horror. And it was great. Look it, it up. It was great. Definitely. Watch it. It's still on Shutter. And that one talked about what what we, you've seen, what you may not have seen, what you should take about black characters who are in films that were not made by black filmmakers. And then this is sort of, well, then, what do we want? You know, like, how do we want black horror to move forward? This is the outgrowth of that. And it is a showcase of six different black filmmakers in total. So, the, as you said, the writers, the directors, and in, and in most cases, the stars. The films are very different. Like, the only thing they have in common, a lot of times when you see an anthology, there will even be a framing a wrap piece, around, a yeah. wraparound mm-hmm. that gives you a sense of why they're all together. Uh, this isn't. It's just, it's just a bunch of different horror shorts And I don't even think that it would be safe to say they speak to the black experience because most of them are fairly universal, although some of them very definitely do speak to the black experience. Uh, And they've got there are a lot of creature features. I was surprised by that. There are several creature features in here. There's a, a, a gothic, a southern gothic that was that was a lot of fun to watch. There is one comedy that was my favorite one that was called Sundown. It's got some great performances and also Peter Stormare, so you know that you're in trouble if Peter Stormare shows up and he's got a fiddle. That's not good. <laughs> uh, you know, and I think that, that there's a lot of great things going on in these movies. There's, there's also, I think, not all of them are exceptional films and the, the running time is, is two and a half hours. So... Yeah, that's a, that's a commitment. I, it is. I feel like the the whole thing might have worked out better if Shutter had put it out as a limited series, mm-hmm. so that you just you have a new half yeah. hour every, so that you didn't feel obligated to sit all the way through. I think that they would have each one would have stood up a little bit better if you just watched it and then didn't watch the next one and then watch the next one. Partly again because they're not connected, uh, and a couple of them again are are not. The lake is a little bit weaker than some of the others, but they're all solid. And some of them have some really great performances or really great monster moments or really great things to say. So it's definitely worth watching. Yeah, and you can find that on Shudder, and that is Horror Noir. Let's go to animation next for an ultra-violent epic fantasy set in a land of magic, following heroes from a different era and culture battling against a malevolent force. This is The Spine of Night. 
Our people have suffered long enough. Yeah, it says uh, ultraviolet. It certainly is ultraviolet. <laughs> <laughs> and the style of animation, they call it rotoscope. Yes. Uh, it's going to remind some people of a certain age of heavy metal. Right. Uh, was it not specifically, but close to that style. And it really has a, a throwback type of feel to it. But uh, boy, there's a lot of animated carnage. There is. You know, the other thing that it, that it might make you remember if you are of a certain age is Saturday morning cartoons, uh, like the He-Man variety. That's what it looks like. That's With a more little, blood. A lot more blood. <laughs> but it's also got that that Wizards and Warriors fantasy element of it. And, it's a, and, and it follows a warrior princess who is voiced by Lucy Lawless. Is there Perfect. a better choice? Perfect. Is there? No, exactly. No. The, I mean, the entire voice cast is amazing. Richard E. Grant, Betty Gabriel. Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt. <laughs> nice. You know, it, yeah. and it's, it's just, it's such a surprise. This movie is such a surprise. And it's so, you're just all, I mean, they are all in. It is, a, it is an incredible experience. Christy Robb did the review for us. She loved it. She gave it four stars. It's, it's definitely, you know, it's a horror film. I mean, it's a you know, it's yeah. a horror fantasy. So don't watch it with your kids, you know. But I mean, if if that sounds like something you are into, you probably are, and you should definitely check it out. Yeah, and we forgot to mention Larry Fessenden has a voice. Oh, there. It's Larry a long Fessenden, time, long time horror favorite. Larry Fessenden is in there. So yeah, this is available on VOD. Check out Christie's full review at MadWolf.com. Uh, but a recommendation for the Spine of Night, and we'll wrap it up with an action crime drama. A Chinese immigrant. Gets caught up in an international crime ring of human smuggling while attempting to make a better life for her family. This is called Snakehead. Bingo. I'm gonna have some problem with you. I'm gonna smuggle drugs. You saved me a fortune. I didn't do that for you, I did that to survive. What would you do? Someone betrayed your family. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us. And it's it's one of those films that has a lot going for it. It's obviously very low budget, and, and you can see that at times. I mean, not not all of the performances are up to snuff. A little, some of the writing lets you down here yeah. and again. But it's an interesting story uh, of, uh, of a woman who is smuggled into the States when she's young, and loses her daughter in a sort of a, a raid kind of a situation and then needs to come back and figure out how to get to her daughter. And to do that, she starts working for the wrong people. Snakehead is a term that's used for uh, people who bring others into the country. And, uh, and and that's where that comes from. But also the idea of something that's not to be trusted, which is which is the her inside this organization. Right. And also... The organization should know this about her. So it's, I mean, the the central character is a very interesting character, really well played. Sometimes the movie around her falls apart a little bit, but it says it says something important, I think, and stands pretty well as an action adventure. Yeah, the writer director is Evan Jackson Leong, and uh, you're, you're going to recognize one of the stars, at least one of the stars, Sung Kang from many of the Fast and Furious right, right. films uh, is in this as well. So yeah, definitely some good things here, and you can check out Rachel's full review of Snakehead. Uh, at madwolf.com, and this is available now on VOD.
All right, let's get updated in the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Jumping back in the lobby to check in with the schlocketeer, a.k.a. Daniel Baldwin, his secret identity, <laughs> <laughs> for the latest, uh, latest news on studio releases and anything else that's happening. What's going on? Not much this week. I've only got a handful of things for you. Uh, on the date side, um, Grabber's director, John Wright, has returned with a new Irish horror film called Unwelcome. Woo! Grabber's. Yay! <laughs> For people that have never even heard of Grabber's, uh, look it up. Oh, uh, it's, yeah, it's watch hilarious. it right now. Uh, it's, it's, it's well worth your time. But uh, the, law, the log line for this new one is, Gremlins meets Straw Dogs. Oh, yes, please. Wow. Uh, you know what? <laughs> My brain is going to puzzle over that now for days. How do you... The don't two know. tones of those movies. <laughs> wow. Okay. I want to see how that pans out. Right. There is a trailer out there if anyone wants to track it down. But Welga USA will be tossing it into theaters here on March 17th, and then it will get a streaming release from Shudder once its theatrical run wraps up. So probably hit Shudder during the summer, I would imagine. All right. And then Focus Features has pushed back the release date of Robert Eggers' The Northman, but only about two weeks. It'll now open in theaters on April 22nd. And then also that very same day will be the Sam Raimi-produced sci-fi thriller 65, which stars Adam Driver. And I know nothing about that movie other than those details. <laughs> They're good details, though. <laughs> yeah. They are. They are. And then the two, well, the two bigger news bits of the week are, first up, uh, Dune Part 2 has been officially greenlit, exceptional begin sometime next fall ahead of an October 2023 release. So if, like me, you're worried that we'd only end up with half an adaptation, you can now breathe a sigh of relief, <laughs> and then probably immediately start praying five minutes later that we'll get more sequels beyond that. But, <laughs> <laughs> just one at a time. Take, take what we can get. I saw, I saw a funny post uh, somewhere um, last few days that said, this Dune is actually a sequel to Spice World. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed. It's pretty funny. <laughs> and then the last one is, um, of course, Universal's been attempting to remake the Universal Monster movies for years. They tried their Dark Universe experiment, which never really got off the ground. And it then we failed. got that awesome Lee Wanell Invisible Man movie a few years ago. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> not not the they, Tom Cruise mummy experiment. No. no. Russell Crowe is Cockney Mr. High. Right. <laughs> but yeah, they've, they've got a few more in the works, and you know they're not trying to turn them into action movies anymore. But one that had been in development was a remake of The Wolfman with Lee Wanell as the director and Ryan Gosling as the star. And apparently this is a pet project for Gosling. Not sure what his idea for the project is, but this is his baby. And it's now had a bit of a pivot. Wanell has dropped out of the film supposedly for scheduling issues, and he has been replaced by Derek C. in France, which is a... That's, there's a bit of a chasm between this filmmaking style. Yeah. So I'm not sure what a Wolfman movie starring Ryan Gosling from the director of Blue, Blue Valentine, Valentine and The Place Beyond the Pines would be like, but I'm definitely down to find out. Yeah, I am too. I'm excited that he's moving into horror. Yeah. Well, I'm, both of them, actually. I'm thinking it's going to be different than Lee Wanell. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they conjure up. Yeah, with that. yeah, for sure. 
that's all I've got for you this all week. Right. Really you can, light week. Oh, that's that's fine. Always glad to hear what's what's cooking, and you can keep up with uh, Daniel at the Schlocketeer on Twitter and on Facebook as well. Thank you much. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking ahead to next week, there's a couple of big ones. Latest superhero movie from Marvel, The Eternals, is out. Spencer. Yeah, with Kristen Stewart getting some award buzz for that one. Also, Beta Test. Loved it. Yep. Dead and beautiful. Beans. <laughs> Ida Red. I feel like that should be beans colon the magical fruit. It's not. No, it's just no. beans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said Ida Red. Also, Lanterns Lane. Mark and Mary and some other people. Oh, I love them. <laughs> They're a great group. So we'll look ahead to those next week. Might be some more. There usually are that pop up. But uh, that's next week. What about this week? What do you think about any of the movies we talked about? Good spooky stuff for Halloween season or no? You can keep the conversation going. We always love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter easily at MadWolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. Join it. You can find it there at madwolf.com. So keep in contact if you can. Have a great Halloween. We'll talk to you next week. And until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>